Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Welcome to Behind the Clubhouse Door. This podcast presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Playing at Oregon State was not easy. We were demanded a lot and, uh, you know, like on a rundown drill. First and thirds, no base runners. You throw a ball away, you're off the field. You don't catch a ball, you're off the field. There's no base runners. We're going half speed. Um, it was that perfection, um, you know, that kind of led to, to what we became. And that starts with leadership. And, you know, when you put that in perspective with the Portland Diamond Project, you know, I believe we have very good leadership at the top, you know. So, you know, we're hopefully building the same brand that, um, you know, I was a part of at Oregon State. That's Darwin Barney, former Oregon State standout, two-time national champion, and a big leaguer himself, talking about his time with the Beavers and how those experiences are going to apply to his new gig as advisor and investor to the Portland Diamond Project. And now, here's Behind the Clubhouse Door, a podcast on the Portland Diamond Project, part of the VatCast Network. Welcome Behind the Clubhouse Door, a podcast on the Portland Diamond Project with host Billy Gates, a production of VatCast Network. Welcome into Behind the Clubhouse Door, a podcast on the Portland Diamond Project, part of the VatCast Network. I'm your host, Billy Gates, and today we've got a special guest, former Oregon State baseball standout and former Major League Baseball player, Darwin Barney. He is an advisor and an investor in the Portland Diamond Project. They just brought him on recently, so thanks for coming on the show, Darwin. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's good to be here. Good talking to you. Well, yeah, no, thanks for coming by. Um, let's just really get into it right now. I mean, as far as... Um, you know, bringing a baseball team to Portland, obviously you play in the bigs and you play baseball at the highest level possible. Um, what would it mean to you to have a professional baseball team in essentially your hometown? Because you, you grew up in Beaverton with the Southridge. So, I mean, what would it be like to have a pro ball team, you know, in your backyard pretty much? Um, you know, I think it would be pretty special. Um, you know, I think going to Oregon State uh, was a decision of mine to stay local. Um, I felt a lot of pride with the state of Oregon and um, you know, and just seeing how we kind of had a part in the growth of baseball in the Northwest and in Oregon, especially, uh, you know, this would be kind of the next step of that. Um, you know, one of our proudest moments in college was when the University of Oregon had to dump their prestigious wrestling program, uh, to start a baseball team because they couldn't stand the Beavers getting all the hype and all the love. And, um, you know, as Beavers, we take a lot of pride in that. Um, I had a buddy that was a wrestler at Oregon. And he wasn't too happy, you know, and it was a, it was, it was quite an ordeal. So, um, you know, we take a lot of pride in, in being Oregonians and, and, you know, the type of baseball that we play in the Northwest, um, we don't get that much respect across the country. You know, those guys are out playing all year round and in Arizona, they're out taking batting practice in, you know, December, uh, we're inside working on the little things and, uh, you know, we're taking the same approach into the Portland Diamond Project where, you know, we want to get it right from day one and, and be a winning environment. I was going to say those guys down in Texas and, uh, California and Florida and Georgia, like they're probably out of batting cage. It's noon on a Wednesday here. So they're probably hitting right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they're hitting on yeah. field, Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, we're stuck inside and, and hitting off cages and, and working on little things. And, uh, you know, we did hours of rundowns and first and thirds and, you know, that's what made us so successful in college. And I think uh, we can bring that same, you know, feel to this team um, and to this area. Yeah, and it certainly showed in college. You guys are one of the best feeling teams in the nation, led to a couple national championships. We'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, with this first segment, just kind of wanted to get 
get your get your vision of of, of what this kind of um, you know partnership with the Portland Diamond Project can be. Uh, you're an advisor and you're also an investor. I mean, what what went in to to that kind of dual role you have, and how did that conversation kind of go to get you on board? Uh, you know, the conversation was pretty simple. Um, you know, I've known Cheek, Craig Cheek, for a long time. Uh, I played some soccer with his son and against him a lot. And, um, you know, so we, we've been, um, you know, friends for a long time. So the conversation was pretty simple. Hey, here's what I'm doing. Um, the timing was pretty perfect with, you know, me deciding to retire this year. And, and um, you know, it was almost like a, a spark, you know, something that I needed. I, I needed something besides thinking that being a baseball player was all I could be. And, um, you know, Craig, you know, kind of mentioned it and the vision started exploding in my mind, you know, what I could do, what I could be and how I could help. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really willing to do anything, uh, that needs to be done because, you know, I think the people are ready. I think, uh, Portland is definitely ready for a baseball team. So as far as an advisor role, I mean, what do you, what are you essentially helping this, this group do? Well, you know, unless you've played a bunch in the major leagues, you don't necessarily know what a player looks for, um, what makes a city enticing to a free agent. Um, you know, you look at what Miami did when they built their stadium, and, and uh, a couple of years in, it, it was kind of not working out. Uh, I think as a player, you know, we're not a big fan of stuff that's, you know, not historical or... or you know, whatever that word is, I think, um, you don't want to be too innovative, but this is Portland and, uh, you know, we're innovative people. We, we worry about the climate we want, you know, we want to leave the world a better place for our kids. And, and I think we're taking that, you know, that direction on this, you know, we don't want to just build something that's not going to be good for the community, not going to be good for the environment. Um, we want to build, uh, sustained community that um you know will help the people around it and will help the environment as well so that's kind of what i feel like i could help with is what does a player need um you know is the sun going to be coming this direction on the stadium design um you know and these guys are really smart you know they've been working on this for a long time um you know but there's just things that you don't know unless you're down there sweating you know in the clubhouse so um i think first and foremost you know i want to put my hand in some stadium design stuff and and uh, location stuff and, and just what is going to be, you know, something a player will look for when they're trying to come here because, you know, that's kind of been the recipe for success uh, in the major leagues is developing young talent and then being able to go get those free agents um, that are going to make a difference and usually they're pitchers. So, um, you know, we want to kind of hit the ground running and, and have the foundation set for all that. So there's not going to be any like hideous center field home run structure like in Miami there, right? <laughs> I would vote against that. Um, you know, we want to have something. We want to have something that's a little bit different. We don't want to be the same, but, um, you know, you want to have something that kind of stands out and uh, makes it special. And I think, you know, we have a lot of ideas on that, um, you know, but we're still working on things. And I think that's the kind of stuff that first and foremost, I could, I could probably help the most with. Nice, nice. And yeah, I mean, you look at, um, you know, the, the franchises that they get those big name free agents. I mean, Boston being one, Chicago being another a team you played for. Um, those, those type, and obviously New York, um, you know, those bigger market teams, but they also have that, they have the historic appeal. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to hit a ball into the middle of the Ivy at Wrigley? Like, who wouldn't want to hit the ball, you know, over the, over the green monster in, in Boston? I mean, is is like, 
you know, down down the road, I mean, obviously that those are kind of the uh, memories that this group is kind of hoping to to maybe cultivate. Obviously, that's a long way away, mm-hmm. but I mean, the vision is still there. Yeah, I mean, you want to develop a culture and you want to build a culture, and I think they've already done that uh, with the leadership they have on top. You know, they're not bringing in just anybody as an advisor. You know, they're bringing in the right people, the people they feel like fit their vision and and their feel of a community. Um, you know, we're trying to emulate. Uh, what Oregon State baseball has brought, you know, that family feel, um, you know, as a ownership group. And, and, you know, that's kind of what leaks down, you know, in my experience in the major league level. Um, And you look at, like you said, what Chicago had done, you know, the biggest thing when I was there was we couldn't keep a free agent. We couldn't get that Japanese guy. We couldn't, you know, the, the, the Cubans will come over. They don't care. But, uh, you know, that Japanese player that has 30 teams going for him, you know, what's going to set us apart? And a lot of that is comfort, uh, the city, which is phenomenal here, and then facilities, you know, workout facilities, tubs, locations of those facilities in the clubhouse. Um, you know, when Chicago made those d- changes and those upgrades, it was immediate when they started winning. Obviously, they had uh, Theo at the helm and, and his brains and, and everything that he was building there. Um, but you don't see a John Lester come over there you don't you don't see a guy that's like hey i gotta play five day games a week here um the facilities better be pretty amazing and before they were it was it was not a place that i would want to sign when i was 33 34 years old so um you know we're, we're trying to do that we're trying to you know hit the ground running in that direction um you know and and there's no better place than portland for that mm-hmm. And we'll get into more detail on this later but uh professional career uh, drafted in the fourth round in 2000 seven um by by the cubs um have good great great set of seasons there when the gold glove in 2012 um play for the dodgers for a little bit and then kind of transition to toronto uh, for the end of your career i mean just kind of what was what was the most like really a rewarding part of of having that you know major league career well obviously the the gold glove season was pretty special um you know setting records there and and only making two errors in a whole season was was something that you know the work shows you know in in baseball you control very few things you know you hit a line drive you could be out you hit a topper and you could be have a knock so uh defensively the work um will show immediately um and so for me i tried to just work until i felt comfortable and that meant a lot of work so um that year was memorable because it all kind of paid off and then after that being able to play in the postseason with the blue jays was was something that was pretty special i mean um you hear all these guys and you know i want to get traded to have a chance to win and people don't understand why you know they would go to boston or they would go to houston why not stay with your team or or whatever but uh winning is hard and uh winning is special and playing in the postseason there's nothing like it so um you know i completely understand when those players make those changes Oh yeah, no, definitely. You always want to you always want to hoist those that uh, that trophy with all the uh, pennants on the top of it at the end of the season. I mean, speaking of the World Series, I mean, what did you what what did you think of the Red Sox this season? They they were wire to wire the best team in baseball. Yeah, I think the best team won. Um, you know, it was it was hard to pick anyone else but the Red Sox. Um, you know, Houston's bats kind of went cold. Uh, I didn't think their bullpen was what Boston had. That's that's the thing is, you know, in the postseason, you don't see a full bullpen. You know, you see two or three guys they really trust that throw strikes and throw hard and have good stuff, and then you see wraparound starters coming in and, and throwing big innings. And Boston had the most depth in both of those areas. They had the best defensive depth. They were the fastest out there. Um, you know, and, and obviously their bats were pretty consistent all year. So 
the best team won. I think it was, I was hoping the Dodgers pulled out a couple of those games to take it to game six or seven, but um, inevitably, you know, we kind of felt the Red Sox would win. I mean, technically they did play six games with that 18 inning game three. Yeah, that was, that was pretty incredible. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a long time. And then they had to wrap around and play the next day. So, uh, you know, we saw everything this postseason from what council did with, uh, you know, starting the lefty and pulling him Miley. And, um, you know, there, there's so much information now that, Anything you can do to get a matchup um, uh, advantage is what guys are trying to do now. So, I mean, that's that's what that was. They were trying to match up with guys and, and get their lefty-righty, you know, set for the sixth, seventh inning, you know, and, and it was pretty interesting. Um, it almost came back and bit them in the butt, but, um, you know, in the end, it kind of worked out okay. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, uh, before we end this segment, I mean, you know, we talked about the 18 inning game. In all the baseball you've played, what was the, the longest, most crazy game that you've ever played in? Well, unfortunately, I'll never forget, uh, on Canada Day in 2016, um, we played the Indians, and I pitched in the 19th inning. So bottom 18, winning run on third, two outs. I hit this screamer up the first baseline. The guy makes this amazing play. and So I run down the line, I slam my helmet, and I walk straight to the mound to go pitch for the first time in, you know, 17 years or something. Um you know, so that was pretty fun. I gave a leadoff, leadoff home run up, um, you know, so I got the loss, but I did get a strikeout. I struck out Napoli with what was supposed to be a cutter, ended up being a curveball. So I had that <laughs> ball in my mantle. So it, it, it was That's... memorable, um, you know, but those games, they wear you out. You know, by the 15th, 16th inning, I mean, you could tell the other night, guys are trying to hit home runs. They're trying to end the game with one swing. Um, it's really hard to, to string three or four hits together when you're in the 15th, 16th inning. That's pretty special. You were part of the uh, position player pitching craze too. That's that's happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Everyone freaks out on social media when a when a position player starts to pitch. Yeah, I think my arm is still hurting from it. So you know, it ended up falling apart later that year. Oh <laughs> uh, well, it. I guess whatever you gotta do for the team, right? If you're I, in a 19 inning game, it was memorable. They ask uh, you to go to the hill. I would do it again. <laughs> awesome, cool. Hey, we'll have end the first segment there. Uh, this is behind the clubhouse door. Uh, part of the That Cast Podcast Network, and we'll be back with segment two with Darwin Barney after this. This podcast is presented by High Caliber Millwrights. When you want a job done right, turn to High Caliber. Expertise, versatility, and collaboration. Use High Caliber today for all of your machinery jobs done right. Visit HighCaliberNW.com. There's no crying in baseball. Promise, we'll be right back. In the meantime, go to ThatCast.com to see our growing lineup of shows. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Behind the Clubhouse Door, part of the ThatCast Network. I'm your host, Billy Gates, and here with Darwin Barney, former Oregon State baseball standout and major leaguer and advisor and investor in the Portland Diamond Project. So thanks again for joining us, Darwin. Let's just get get into this. If they fought again, who would win, Rufnet Ordur or Jose Batista? Well, <laughs> I spent a spring with Odor, and I spent a couple years with Bats, you know, and, yeah. and uh, Jose is a good friend of mine. Um, you know, I think to the average fan out there, they won't understand – you know exactly the person he is because you know the bat flips and and all that but uh you know he's he's a genuine guy that loves baseball and um to be fair no one expects a punch to be thrown <laughs> you know in the middle of a field so people will say you know why didn't you have your hands up why weren't you ready or this or that and it's like well all he did was after they threw at him on purpose 
slid into second legally hard um, and then gets decked. So, you know, I'm on Jose's side. Um, You know, I think, unfortunately, Odor wins most fights he's in. Um, (laughs) He's just that kind of a guy. He's he's a good dude, but, you know, he's a scrapper. So Mm -hmm. um, Jose's a father of three daughters. Uh, I take Odor in that fight, unfortunately, but... Um, doesn't mean I condone what happened right. or think that uh, Odor even had a reason or a right to do that. Right, and I mean that's kind of kind of how how most most bench clears begin. Some sort of unwritten rule gets broken, and then mm-hmm. you know kind of emotions boil over, and and then and then you know the bullpen starts to run yeah. in from. <laughs> you know we weren't too happy about it um, as a team. Uh, Jose had the bat flip the year before. Yeah. Um, and then we played a three or four game series with them at our place. And then it was the last game at their place that they decided to plunk him with 98. So, you know, for us, do it at our place. Do it early. Do it when you don't have uh, all your fans there. And, and you know, for, it was kind of unfortunate. When Jose was the only one on the base pass, he gets punched, and now it's nine versus one. Um, you know, it was just not quite Bush League. But it was almost there uh, because it's hard to say. You know, I think that the game has gotten a little bit softer than it used to be. So I wouldn't completely say it's bush league. Um, you know, but with the slides and and the rules to protect people, I think uh, you know some of that is okay in the game. We need it, but you know, maybe not quite like that. We don't want to teach our kids that if you know if someone slides in hard, you'd punch them in the face. Sure. And for those that don't remember, uh, 2016, uh, Rufino Odor, Joy Batista got in a scrap. Like we were you know, talking about earlier, um, all of a sudden, Odor unleashes this right hook, drills Joey in the face, uh, sunglasses fly off, helmet flies off. It was really a made-for kind of sports center kind of TV moment with all that stuff happening. Um, and Darwin was part of the Blue Jays at that time. And and then, you know, after uh, a, a little bit, signed a uh, spring training con- or minor league deal yeah, with, with, league with, deal with the Rangers. With um, yeah. And you, tell me about that. I mean, obviously that that's kind of where where you you know called your career um, quits there. But I mean, um, when you were signing with the Rangers, I mean, I guess what kind of went into that uh, decision? Well, the manager I had known, you know, for a while. They tried to get me when I was a free agent going into the sixteen season. Um, you know, so I felt like there was a fit there. You know, they had told me they wanted to win, um, and if a team wants to win, I'm I'm a kind of guy that fits into that kind of a team where um, I can play plus defense at positions and I can situational hit. Um, once we kind of got into spring training, they realized that the team was not necessarily a contender, and and uh, then I'm not a fit. You know, so for me, I was I had made the decision already that. If I didn't break with a big league team, um, you know, I was going to call it and spend time with my family. And, you know, it was a hard decision, um, you know, because there were so many injuries in the first couple weeks of the season that I, I could have very easily been in the big leagues, um, you know, two, three weeks in. But, you know, I had made up my mind. Um, I was excited to be home and, um, you know, it was different. But, you know, making that decision to go to Texas, uh, I did text a couple guys on my Blue Jays team just just to make sure because you know we had a couple of playoff runs there and and uh we were a tight-knit group and you know just kind of let them know like hey i think this is the best opportunity i have to to make a team and and uh you know they were fine with it um i definitely packed my stuff in my old cubs bag uh, i didn't show up into their clubhouse with a blue jays bag i, I did do that um but besides that you know all that's behind you you know yeah. everything in spring training is about that year and, and moving forward and trying to win with that team so uh you know there was some you know 
play that went into that decision. Uh, but in the end, you know, it's a business. Oh yeah, and I'm sure those those players understood. I mean, just like with any any other you know big leaguer who wants to make a team. I mean, you got to go you got to go where where they're willing to you know have a look at you and, mm-hmm. and put you on the field. Um, you know, the the decision to retire. I mean, that was just purely want to spend more time with the family. I mean, just kind of take take me through that that decision. Yeah, you know, it, it was. Uh in 2017, I dealt with a knee and an arm. Uh, my, I have bone spur and a couple floaters in my elbow. I, I could, I could play through it, but it was just a lot of work. Um, you know, and obviously anything you do that pays well is going to be a lot of work. Uh, but for me, it was, it was exhausting getting there super early, getting needled every day in your arm right before a game. Uh, massages weren't even working. Um, you know, so it just was exhausting in a sense where couldn't go up and down stairs straight I had to go sideways because my knee was so bad so you know I walk away and, and it feels okay and then you realize well I could still do it but then you forget your body went through what it did so you know it, it's kind of one of those things where yeah I could have grinded it out um, you know but I always told my wife if this was a movie and we were watching it you know if our life was a movie I would be rooting for me to to walk away and just say I pick you you know I pick my family mm-hmm. I choose you over this and you know, it finally got to that point where I could do that and feel comfortable doing it. And, uh, you know, it felt pretty good. So, you know, I'm, life is, is pretty fulfilling, you know, and, and, uh, in baseball, you're obviously not going to get the same feelings you got, you know, when you have a good night and it's something you've worked on your whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but it's, it's obviously just as fulfilling being with your family. Right. I mean, that just being able to spend that time with family just makes that decision, albeit hard, makes it that much that much easier i would i would assume sure. yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't watch much baseball this year yeah. but uh i definitely watched the postseason but throughout the season it was a little hard just seeing a bunch of guys out there that i played with and you know that i'm i kind of felt like i walked away but um you know here we are and i'm really happy with this opportunity oh yeah i i, I could imagine now obviously without your you wouldn't have been a professional baseball player without that stellar career at oregon state what you guys did and just let me ask you this before we go to another break. Um, when you're being recruited out of out of Southridge to play college baseball, how did the Oregon State coaching staff approach it with you? Like, were they were they telling you that hey, we're building we're building this great thing, come be a part of it, or just kind of kind of give me give me a sense of how how uh, Casey and his staff approached you about playing ball for the Beavers? Well, you know, obviously. I was fortunate enough to to kind of be a, a prospect. Um, you know, I had letters from places all over the country. Um, you know, Oregon State, when I was a freshman, I played in a tournament in Corvallis, and Coach Casey was there, and that was when I first met him. Um, you know, and, and it that kind of started the relationship. You know, nothing illegal went down. You know, there was no <laughs> recruiting going on. But um, You mean you didn't get paid like the basketball players Right, did? not that much. We can't talk about that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so... And then when it comes down to making that decision, you know, I lined up four or five visits, um, you know, places like Miami or Georgia Tech and and, uh, Oregon State was my first visit. And when Coach Casey came into my living room, um, you know, he was like, hey, we think you're the last piece to make us a real championship contender. And my dad and I kind of looked at each other like, yeah, you know, we've been following Oregon State, Um, you know, but he was being sincere. Um, I think he saw something and, and, you know, luckily I saw it too. You know, I went on my visit there. Um, I met Ellsbury there and, you know, Gunderson and Dallas Buck and Nickerson and all these guys that I had played against in Oregon growing up 
that I knew were, were very good quality baseball players. Uh, they were all there, you know, Cole Gillespie guys like that. So, um, the decision was easy. I went to my visit and canceled all my others. I committed and, uh, it was, it was as simple as that. You know, I went there and I saw what they were doing and I saw the guys and we were 85% Oregon dudes. And, uh, you know, the decision was easy from there. And it obviously turned out to be probably the best decision I've ever made. Right. I mean, what an amazing vision that Pat Casey and his coaching staff had, like to, to put all those guys together, especially the, the locally homegrown talent. Because you know, until then, you know, we said this a little bit earlier, not a lot of Oregon guys were getting college looks because they can't play all year round. Yeah. And, you know, that was kind of the recipe was, you know, you look at Cole Gillespie. He was the all-state shortstop the year before I was. Um and he was an outfielder. Tyler Graham was a shortstop outfielder. Um, Andy Jenkins played first. He was a third base shortstop. Shane McFeely was a shortstop, played third. You know, everyone was uh, an athlete. And I think, you know, that was kind of our, our recipe was let's get athletes in here. Let's get guys that can run the bases, run the ball down, play the game the right way, um, create a chemistry and, and uh, create an atmosphere where we can be successful and hold each other accountable. And and uh, I think that's kind of what we did. You know, we were defensively good for that reason. You know, we, everyone was athletic, you know, and uh, it's just not built that way around the country. You know, there's so much more power involved in recruiting and, and what guys are trying to do at the plate, where for us, we didn't hit many home runs. You know, you look at that uh, Beaver team the year before they won, they were historically good, you know, and what they have seven losses on the year. Um, the guy with the most home runs on their team was like seven, mm-hmm. you know, so the recipe in the Northwest isn't necessarily to hit the long ball, you know, it's to play the game the right way, scratch out some runs. And then this last year, they do that as well as bang, as well as really hit. And what do you get? You get a world series, you know? So for us, when, when I was in college, we really hit in the postseason. Uh, we hit enough during the year, um, you know, but once we got out to Omaha and the ball's flying, uh, we could hit the ball, you know, with as much pop as those other teams, uh, but we pitched and we, we caught it a lot better. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll get more into the OSU career of Darren Barney here in the next segment, so we're going to cut this one down right now. So come on back for the third segment of Behind the Clubhouse Door, part of the ThatCast Network, after this message. This podcast is presented by High Caliber Millwrights. When you want a job done right, turn to High Caliber. Expertise, versatility, and collaboration. Use High Caliber today for all of your machinery jobs done right. Visit highcalibernw.com. Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to thatcast.com to start reaching our audience. There's no crying in baseball. Promise, we'll be right back. In the meantime, go to thatcast.com to see our growing lineup of shows. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Behind the Clubhouse Door, a podcast on the Portland Diamond Project, part of the ThatCast Network. I'm your host, Billy Gates, and we're here with Darwin Barney, and this will be our final segment for the show today, and we're going to continue with uh, talk about OSU and how that uh, Darwin was part of that program's uh, kind of rise here in the Pacific Northwest and putting putting this region you know, on the baseball map, so to speak. So when you get to OSU, um, you, you meet all the guys, uh, could you... Did you really feel something, you know, when you were a freshman, you're just getting, getting to know the guys and getting to know the program? Um, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, this was a group of guys that the last couple of years before I got there, 
um, they kind of knocked at the door. You know, their preseasons were were pretty respectable. Um, and that's saying a lot. Back then, we used to start our first 23 games on the road because we had a dirt infield. So, um, you know, but once they hit Pac-10 play, it, you know, they kind of fell off. Um, obviously, the Pac-10, you know, is, is a really strong conference, um, especially when I was there. <clears throat> you know, pitching was, was unbelievable. You know, there's at least five starting pitchers in the big leagues uh, that I faced, you know, any giving Friday um, in the Pac-10. So, you know, I think uh, that growth um, of the program had a lot to do with just Pat bringing in the right guys um, and guys that believed. You know, we believed that we were going to be something special. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what it takes. That was step one for us. And, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned how, you know, this um – you know, this program is built on, you know, pitching, defense, that sort of deal. Um, when you've got guys like Dallas Buck, Jonah Nickerson, and Kevin Gunnerson throwing for you on the hill, I mean, even, you know, Daniel Turpin as well, and uh, Patterson, and, you know, all those all those other guys that could, you know, just deal. I mean, that, from a, from an offensive standpoint, from a hitting standpoint, that kind of had to take a little bit of pressure off you guys, didn't it? Because you you know you're going to get, you know, gem after gem from your guys on the hill. Yeah, I mean, it took pressure off you, um, but something coach case was really good at was continuing to put the pressure on us you know if we would win a game by two runs that he felt like we left a bunch of runs out there i mean we were hitting at six in the morning you know three times a week getting ready for the next series so um you know he demanded a lot of us uh we demanded probably even more out of ourselves which is something that was rare you know a lot of times um you know players that didn't see eye to eye with coach case um, it was because they didn't care as much as him. Um, as long as he feels you care as much as him, uh, the relationship is very easy, uh, you know. But playing at Oregon State was not easy. You know, we <clears throat> we were demanded a lot, and, uh, you know, like on a rundown drill, first and thirds, no base runners. You throw a ball away, you're off the field. You don't catch a ball, you're off the field. There's no base runners. We're going half speed. Um, it was that perfection um, you know, that kind of led to, to what we became and that starts with leadership. And, you know, when you put that in perspective with the Portland Diamond Project, um, you know, I believe we have very good leadership at the top, you know, so, um, you know, we're hopefully building the same brand that, um, you know, I was a part of at Oregon State. Nice. And you, it's, it's interesting how you can make those parallels, obviously playing at a big time program, you know, like Oregon State, and then, you know, using using those um, kind of experiences, those observations, those skills that you built, you know, to kind of, you know, apply it to something like this. I mean, in a sense, you know, things have kind of kind of come full circle a little bit because you're back home now. Um, you're able to, to use what you what you uh, learned in college, not, not, not necessarily, you know, like, you know, fielding a ground ball or turn a double play, but you're using those experiences to help you know, push, push through the, the next big thing in your life. I mean, is that kind of how you see this kind of playing out? Yeah. You know, um, being a part of a team is something special. Um, you know, you see golfers this, these days, they say we, you know, they're out there by themselves with their caddy, but they say my team were focusing on this. You know, I think we did a good job of this. He's the only one out there taking the shots, but he has a team around him. And I think, you know, that team thing is something that we're bringing to Portland, uh, the Portland Diamond Project, especially, you know, that camaraderie, you know, guys are pulling in the same direction. Um, and I think that's a lot what Oregon State was, is, uh, you know, guys that are rowing the boat in, in the same way, um, you know, the water, if it's rough, it doesn't matter. 
you know, but if you get a couple guys that, that aren't doing the right thing, um, now all of a sudden you need a downstream to be able to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I look back at Oregon state and, and we had early running at six in the morning and one guy throws up and keeps running. Another guy throws up, lays down and there was three or four of us that asked coach if we could tell him to leave and, and he was gone, you know? So it's not easy. Being good or great at anything is not easy. And we, we know that. And uh, we intend to do everything in our power to, to make it easy, um, make it easy on the owners, to make it easy on the city. Um, and I think that, you know, Craig has done a really good job at, at making this process easy on the people. You know, obviously we haven't given up enough information to, to make everyone happy, um, you know, but we're not asking for much. We're asking for support. Um, we're asking to believe and get excited about it and do what you can. And, um, you know, we're not asking for money. We're not asking for anything, uh, you know, that Oregonians don't want to give any more of since we're 10% income tax here. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so I think, you know, we're moving in the right direction and, and uh, the culture is really important to us. Yeah, and you talk about um, things not being easy and culture. I mean, obviously, winning two national championships at the college level, uh, pretty awesome. Uh, 2006, you guys finished 15-16, beat North Carolina 2-1 in the championship series. Uh, just the way you guys did that in at the College World Series, I mean, that was that was really really something. I mean, that's like can you can you describe how you guys felt after you were able to get that done? Yeah, you know, I, I won a, a high A championship. Um, I've been to the postseason in the major leagues. Um, you know, I won a championship in 2007. But that first one in 2006, um, it trumps all of them. You know, it, it trumps them all because it was uncharted territory for us. We'd never been there. Um, you know, we'd went to Omaha the year before and we're, we're two and out. You know, so for us, you know, that's the feeling that I remember is the 2006 championship um, because we had our backs against the wall. You know, um, we lost the first game in Omaha. And then we lost the first game in the final series. And to be able to come back, I remember in game two, we were down by five in like the fourth inning. And I remember thinking, well, at least we got here. You know, I'm standing out there looking around like, wow, this is great, trying to appreciate it. Next sure. thing you know, it's like bang, bang, bang. We go on a little run um, and we win the thing, you know. So that feeling of, oh, we're not going to do it. Our backs are up against the wall. It's, you know, the odds after we lost that first game were you know, 5% maybe of winning the whole thing, uh, to be able to come back and do that, you know, there was, there's no other feeling in the world that can compare that. Yeah, especially against a team that North Carolina had that season. They were, they were tremendous. Like there wasn't really a, there wasn't really a flaw out there on the field with them. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, we had a lot of talent, mm -hmm. you know, the 06 and even 07, um, you look at the professional baseball players that we had, the numbers are up in the twenties. Um, I think North Carolina had more big league star power, you know, they had a couple guys throwing 98. Um, Ackley was probably the best hitter at the time in the country. Um, Tim Federovich, their catcher, they called him FedEx because the guy just drove in runs. So, um, and, and he was a big leader and still is. And, you know, it's that team, they had the players, um, you know, I don't know, things maybe fell our way. Maybe we had more grit. You know, it's hard to, to say why somebody wins and why they don't, but um, that team definitely, you know, had big league talent all over the place, probably more so than we did. Uh, we were probably a little bit more athletic top to bottom than they were. 2007, um, you beat North Carolina again, this time you sweep them, um, in the college world series final, but you had to start the postseason across the country in Charlottesville. 
uh, 10 and 14 Pac-10 record. Obviously, the overall record was great, mm-hmm. um, but you know, finished sub 500 in the Pac-10. Got to go to Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, to 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 play your your regional, and then you guys just got just scalding hot um, when you when you got the super regional into Omaha. Yeah, we actually lost a game in that regional. Yeah, um, to Virginia, mm-hmm. and you know, coming back through to beat those guys was was something special you know i remember after we lost walking out of there with case and you know when you come off a win the year before winning the championship all we had in our mind was getting back to home on winning again so that loss was it was it was interesting for us you know we weren't expecting it you know we didn't have the best regular season but we knew we had all the pieces you know we had these young arms that were coming along our defense was really good um then all of a sudden we just started hitting you know, I mean, and obviously in college, that's important. Um, you know, Virginia kind of ran out of pitching, and uh, there's a couple guys on their team that, you know, big league players. You know, I remember Brandon Geyer I played with. Uh, they had a lefty that was just unreal. I think it was Moscos, I want to say. But, um, but yeah, these guys were big league talents, um, but we were just deeper. You know, we were, we were deeper as a club. We had more guys that could make a difference, and, uh, you know, and that showed. And then from there, we just... I mean, Omaha seemed like a breeze, you know, it, it wasn't, but, uh, you know, the first game we beat another big league pitcher, um, and won three to two. And after that, I don't think we lost by five or or won by five or six runs. I think it was, it was pretty easy from there on, you know? So, um, when you're scoring seven or eight runs a game and with the pitching and defense we had, it was, it was smooth sailing from there. And part of that 2007 world series, one of the most memorable, just overall baseball plays that I'll that I'll ever see in my entire life is against Cal State Fullerton. You and Joey Wong turn that double play, and and you got to charge a ball. You know, it's a little bit to your glove side, and you got to kind of turn your body. And didn't get a ton on the throw to Joey at second, but then Joey catches the ball, literally throws it as he's horizontal with the base runner breathing down his neck, slide into him, and you make that play. As far as defensive plays in your career. Where, where do you where do you put that one? Because that was just one of the most incredible things I'd ever seen. You know, I put that up pretty high, even uh, against, you know, some of my better plays I made in the big league level. Um, you know, the turn Joey made was, was pretty special. I think for him, it's pretty routine. And, you know, you see Joey's a big league baseball player. Mm-hmm. You know, if it weren't for injuries every year, that guy would have, you know, a lot of time under his belt at that level. Um, so you see a lot of guys make plays that look tough, but they say they're pretty routine where I think if you were to ask him, he would say, yeah, you know, that was a little bit tough, but that's his natural arm slot. So, um, you know, and I could say the same thing about my part of the play where that's something we work on mm-hmm. catching a short hop. And we call it a one, two feed where you catch it on your left foot, you throw it on your right and you can turn double plays that way. It's just really hard to do also. So you, you bend down, catch it on your left foot, and by the time your right foot comes down, you got to make the throw. So that transfer and everything has to happen in rhythm and has to happen fast. So, um, you know, you work on it enough, it becomes fairly routine once you get in rhythm with the ground ball. Now, that's the hardest part is you have, you have to catch a short hop. It can't be a long hop, and it can't be caught up by your chest. So um, the ball kind of worked out with, with my rhythm, and, and the feed kind of fed Joey out front where he had to kind of dive across, and um, it was special, I think. Yeah, I think he would say it was routine, but it was probably one of the cooler turns I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember just watching that just on repeat for, for oh, like yeah, the was, whole week after that. Like we, that was, we did a few things that in that insane. tournament that, you know, we were surprising ourselves. Like, hey, 
things are lining up for us. Uh, it's looking good. Let's just write it out. And it's funny how you said you, you, you practice, you train for that sort of thing because, you know, typically you don't train your infielders to take a short hop. I mean, you're, you're, you want that longer hop where you can, you know, get something on the throw, you can get your body turned toward the bag wherever you're throwing it. But, I mean, that's just how advanced, like, you guys you guys were able to get because you were so good. You, you, were, you were fundamentally perfect. Well, hours and hours inside the Truax, uh, taking ground <laughs> balls that bounce. Um, it trains you to read bounce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the most important thing. It, when you're reading a ground ball, if you think about the hops, you're already dead. Um, if you just allow it to happen, uh, you know, that's when a good infielder can – can pick hops the right way, you know? So yeah, you really have to work on it. It's, it takes, you know, obviously a lifetime of practice, but, um, anybody could do it. It, you know, as long as there's not a bad hop out there, (laughs) (laughs) just, just like in life, as long as you don't get a bad hop, right? That's right. (laughs) All right, Darwin. Well, Hey, thanks for joining man. Really appreciate your time. Um, I think we'll cut it off there. Uh, I feel like we've we've covered quite a bit. Uh, so again, thank you for joining me yeah, on behind the clubhouse door, part of the Vatcast Network, and I'm your host Billy Gates, and we will see you next time. So come on back and take care. Discover the growing lineup of Vatcast Network podcasts and videocasts at thatcast.com.